0: Speaking, loving, and praying. But it's not just enough, I think, to do the right thing. Your attitude matters when it comes to to living out the mission of God. Your attitude matters in how you give. And we're going to be looking at three examples from the book of Acts today. Three examples from the story of early Christianity about how they... uh, acted, but not only how they acted, but how they thought about, felt about, spoke about missions. Because missions is really ultimately all about taking the gospel to people that are outside of the church in a way that helps them become insiders. It's taking thems and turning them into us's. In the book of Acts, that doesn't always happen easily and without uh, pushback and without friction and without discomfort and so we're going to be looking at three examples of how people react about Outsiders becoming insiders from the book of Acts today and as we look at that story We need to make sure and measure ourselves against the example that we see in Scripture so that we can know am I like those who are resistant who are in in opposition To the gospel going to everyone that needs to hear it. Are there some people that I'm uncomfortable with their presence in my house? In God's house. Or are we someone who is reluctantly faithful? Or are we someone who runs at the very opportunity to go where the Spirit leads? That's what we're going to be asking today as we think about our attitudes. And we start with those who are resistant, those who are in opposition to other people who are on the outside coming in without making the accommodations that we think they need to make. So in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, we read the story of a meeting that's happening in Jerusalem. And it tells us why this meeting is happening, because Paul's been going and preaching the message to anyone who will listen. And it turns out there's a lot of people listening that no one expected to hear the good news and certainly not to receive the good news. And they're becoming Christians. And there's some of the old uh, religious fuddy-duddies who say, we're not sure we like how they're behaving in here. So they have to have a meeting chapter 15 verse 1 it says certain people came down from judea to antioch and were teaching the believers unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by moses you cannot be saved well this brought paul and barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them so paul and barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question the church sent them on their way And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Listen to what happens next. It says, then some of the believers, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, sometimes when we think about Pharisees, we think that they had to quit being Pharisees to become followers of Jesus. That apparently is not true. You can maintain your, your kind of belief that there is a, a, an importance to following the law of Moses, that there is uh, advantages to being strict in your obedience To God's law those Pharisees could still say and we believe the Messiah we've waited for is this man Jesus of Nazareth and so they maintain their many of their Pharisee traditions but now they are Jesus followers but they still have a high sense of religiosity a high desire for traditionalism and doing things in right ways and in the right order sometimes they got too caught up on being right and not enough on being kind and loving and Christ like. So these Pharisees, who are now believers, stand up. And they say the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And without going into all the intricacies of circumcision and Judaism and and Gentile and pagan relationships, what you need to know is what these religious guys are saying is, I don't like those people coming in here and pretending they're one of us unless they're going to act like us, think like us, dress like us, talk like us. And until they do, they're not one of us. We have to have sameness to have unity is their idea. Well, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. We'll look at that story in just a moment. God, who knows the heart, showed that He accepted them by giving His Holy Spirit to them, just as He did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter stands up and he says, don't you know, this is settled stuff, guys. We settled this four chapters ago. He didn't know that, but we know that. We'll go there in a minute. But he says, we've already settled this. You can't stand up and say that they aren't welcome when God's Holy Spirit dwells in them. They're already part of the house of God, the temple of the Lord, if the Spirit dwells in them. How can you differentiate between them and us in the way that we worship together if God is in them? That's the proof, is that the Spirit is in them. And if that's true, you have to quit differentiating in the body and in the culture and in the habits and in the things that are different about us when Christ unites us. So they come together they all find agreement with this james and the others speak up and they say listen we know that this is true and that this is good and so in verse 28 they're writing a letter and it begins with greetings but skipping down to the middle of it and what is my favorite line in verse 28 it seemed good to the holy spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements And they give them some instructions about food, sacrifice to idols, and sexual immorality. And says, if you do those things which are are, moral and good and will help us all live in peace with one another, don't worry about the rest of the stuff because grace saves you, not the other stuff. And grace saves us and not the other stuff. And in the letter they write, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That we should not place obstacles between you and the cross of jesus christ and church anytime we find ourselves putting obstacles between people that are in the world and jesus christ we need to hear that we are not only in opposition to the apostles and the elders in jerusalem but to the holy spirit that's what God desires, is not that we put barriers between people inside the church and people outside the church that make it hard for them to come to know Jesus, but that we be the kind of people that tear barriers down and welcome them in with excitement and enthusiasm. But before we get to someone that does it with enthusiasm, we need to look at where I've been promising you will go in Acts chapter 11. This is after Peter has had the vision on the roof where three times a blanket of unclean animals was dropped on his head. And and the Spirit of God says to him, go and eat. And Peter says, I don't do that, God. I don't eat those things. I don't associate with those things. And the implication is those people and I won't do it. And three times God says, no, I want you to do this. And he keeps telling God, no, God, I won't do that. And he understands that it's God who's giving him this vision and he doesn't like where God is leading him. But when he comes out of this vision and there's men from Cornelius that say God sent uh, a vision to Cornelius that we should be sent to you to ask you to come to Cornelius so that you can present the gospel. Peter's at least reluctantly faithful. And he says, if the spirit calls me and he sent you to call me, then I will go where I am sent and I'm called, but you don't get the feeling that he's super excited about it. When he gets to Cornelius' house, he basically says, what did you want? And they said, to hear the gospel. He says, well, here's the gospel. And he preaches it to them, and then the Holy Spirit comes into Cornelius and his family and his household, and they begin manifesting the gifts of the Spirit in ways like the apostles did earlier on. And as they do that, Peter says, if you've got the Spirit... In you, you're part of the family, you're part of the the body, you're part of the temple. Why shouldn't you get baptized? And so the whole family goes and gets baptized that day. Now Peter goes back to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, the church there says, you've got some explaining to do. So in Acts chapter 11, verse 1, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. They criticized him. And they said, we have heard that you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Awesome. Well, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. He says, yeah, you think I've eaten with them. You've got to hear what else we've done. We've worshipped together. They're baptized. Did you, take, did you take communion last Sunday? You took it with them. You've been eating with them too without even knowing it. He doesn't get into all those details, but the implications are all there. And so by the time you get to verse 15, Peter's telling them the story of what happened at Cornelius's house. And he says, as I began to speak, talking about to Cornelius, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections. It appears they've continued to object all through Peter's telling of this story up until this point. And they now praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You hear that subtle dig that's in that language? This is like, even those people, even those people can have repentance that leads to life. But they praise God for it. You see, they are reluctantly faithful Perhaps you could say faithfully reluctant. They aren't sure that this is what they signed up for. They aren't sure that it's what they wanted. But when the spirit shows up and says, this is what I'm doing, they'll say, wow, okay. we didn't see that coming. We didn't expect it. We're pretty uncomfortable with it. But if that's where the spirit's going, we will go there, too. And if this is all you have, if when it comes to you supporting missions, if all you have is being reluctantly faithful and faithfully reluctant, then give that because God can take that little seed and grow into it, uh, grow an incredible harvest. God can change the world with a church filled of faithfully reluctant people. But wouldn't you rather have a church of people that were running where the Spirit sins we're going to go back a few more chapters in Acts, to Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. At this point in Acts, there's, we haven't got to the point yet where Peter has seen this happen, where, uh, where Cornelius has been, uh, had the Spirit within him and been baptized. We haven't got to the point where they've had the council in Jerusalem where they say, you can't be an obstacle that stands between outsiders becoming insiders if the cross is sufficient for them. Here we are in Acts chapter 8. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and Philip is one of the deacons, says, go south to the road. One of my favorite things, by the way, about the deacons in Acts is they get appointed to make sure that the widows get a fair amount of food so that the apostles can focus on uh, the ministry of the word and prayer. And then for the next two chapters, all you do is see deacons preaching. So they're a more diverse group than we often give them credit for, uh, there and here. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And this This man is someone who uh, is a eunuch, and he's from Ethiopia. He is working uh, and employed in a royal courthouse. He works for a royal family in Ethiopia for the queen that is there, and and he has acquired some wealth. We know that he's wealthy because he can afford to take a chariot all the way from Ethiopia in Africa up to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh, to worship God. We know that he's wealthy because he has in his possession a, a scroll of Isaiah, one of the largest scrolls that you can have. Very expensive. Very few people would have had access to a scroll of Isaiah. We know that he's a eunuch, which means that either uh, he was forced or chose that he would be able to, to not have children, that he wouldn't be able to have children, that the line of his family would end with him. And he made that choice so that he could have this position of honor and wealth and influence within the queen of Ethiopia's household and family. And he's prospered greatly because of that. We don't know if it was an elected that he chose that or if it was chosen for him, but this is the life he now lives. He will not have children. And he has this great influence and wealth. And he goes to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, as a royal official from Ethiopia, there are signs that say eunuchs can't go past here. You're not welcome inside of this gate, of this wall. You stay out there. Can't help but wonder if he's reading the scroll of the book of Isaiah, because in Isaiah there's passages that talk about a day of the Lord that is coming, where the kingdom of God will again restore and welcome back even eunuchs and foreigners. And if he's trying to understand when that day will happen, that he can maybe go to the temple and not be excluded. And here he is in his chariot, and he's riding in his chariot. and I've never ridden in a chariot, but I've never seen a chariot move slow. Okay. This is the kind of the Roman-style, Roman-era chariot. We're not talking about a Conestoga wagon on the Oregon Trail. These chariots are made for speed. Oh, yeah. they're, they're made to use in, in war and in military situations. They're made to move. And it's a horse-drawn chariot. And you get the idea that he's sitting here, and his chariot's on the move, and that's where Philip comes in. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Oh, And this is where I think every picture that I could really find of Philip and the chariot falls short and is problematic. Because if you go to a moving chariot, you are moving with it. This is the first uh, running sermon that I can find in Scripture. And that's good news because several years ago, Nathan was preaching our senior Sunday here. And in the middle of his sermon, started running around the auditorium and flying a kite. And I thought, you can't run and preach. That's not biblical. Turns out, it was in the Bible all along. Because here comes Philip. He's running next to the chariot. And he's running. And he's, you get the, he's probably getting out of breath at some point because he has to be there long enough to hear that he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And say, do you understand what you're reading? and they're just running. And and the eunuch is is in his chariot and he's just driving and he's reading and he looks over and he, he has to kind of think, where did you come from? Yeah, somewhere else. I was back there, the Spirit said to get here, I've been running along trying to figure out what I was supposed to be doing running here and then I heard you reading and I thought I'd ask you if you understood what it meant. Go to that chariot and stay near it. And so here's Philip running alongside this horse-drawn chariot. He runs runs up to the chariot and he hears the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And so this moment that is so often caught in, in pictures of Philip casually standing there in his long robes visiting with the eunuch who's casually sitting there in his chariot is this one second in time that's in between Philip having to pull up his, his garments and sprint to catch up with this horse-drawn chariot, and, and the moment where he then gets into the chariot and is riding with the eunuch as they are traveling to, uh, towards Ethiopia now. He says, can I explain to you that which you're... Reading, And this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. What a great passage for Philip to grab when he's talking to a man that says, you know how you'll never have children, neither will Jesus he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and he was led there for your sake and everyone else's. He shares in your future to protect you in the present so that you both might have a legacy that doesn't end in your death. You can have a future that goes into eternal life. So the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is the water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea, a city named after Caesar, where Philip proclaimed the new king. Philip, when he finishes his sermon and he baptizes the Ethiopian, he comes out of the water and Philip is whisked away because the Spirit has found a missionary who's willing to go and run to anywhere that he sends to preach to anyone who needs to have the gospel proclaimed. And, and if the Spirit has a willing messenger, it's going to send him to the corners of the earth and the capital, where, a, a city that is named after Caesar himself, so that Jesus can be proclaimed. What a story. What a story. Philip is not the kind of guy who says, I don't think, sir, that you need to be an insider until you kind of change your dress, your behavior, your attitude. I don't think that I can proclaim the gospel to you unless God shows up in some unbelievable way and the Spirit enters you. If that happens, I guess you could be baptized. Philip shows up, and and when the Ethiopian man says, why can't I be baptized, Philip says, I don't got a reason. I've been running to try and tell you about it all day. Let's go get in the water. That's the kind of enthusiasm that God desires for his people to have. Not that we are in opposition to the mission of outsiders becoming insiders. Not that we are reluctantly faithful and faithfully reluctant, but that we are the kind of people who when the Spirit says go that way, we run until we find someone that we can say, can I answer your questions? Because I want to tell you about Jesus. That's the kind of passionate giving to mission that we're about to get into today and I invite you into today. And if you're only there so far that you can be reluctantly faithful, God will still bless that. But how much sweeter it is to sprint wherever the Spirit sends us. Take the gospel to anyone who has a question and needs to hear an answer. There's three questions that I have for you today. The first question is this, What is the method of supporting missions that you and your family are going to choose this year? Are you just going to give to enable the mission? Will you also see lostness and brokenness? Will you speak the good news? Will you love the least of these? And will you pray for the lost and for our missionaries as they take the kingdom all over the world? But I don't just ask what you're going to do. I ask how you're going to do it how will you give what will your attitude be towards saving outsiders will you look at the sinner outside and say you can come in once you're clean enough but why don't want you dirtying up my church with your sin and your attitude and the way you talk and the way you think or will we instead say the cross is sufficient come on in we may be faithfully reluctant reluctantly faithful but come on in while we get used to this or will we be like Philip and say, as the Spirit sends, we run, and we proclaim, and we invite, and we baptize, and we grow the kingdom, and then we go where the Spirit sends us next. Praise God. That's the kind of giving that we're invited to today, to have this attitude of Philip. And the third question is this, is what kind of fathers are we going to be? I want to book into the sermon with this question of fatherhood. Will our church be filled with men who are interested in their own ambitions and desires, men who are caught up in the expectations this world places on them, right or wrong? Or will our men in this church be fathers who are spirit filled and spirit led, and who run where the Spirit sends them? Amen. These are the questions we have today. Uh, at this time, we are going to uh, pass the collection uh, plate for the March for Missions contribution. We've got two guys that are coming down. And they'll just be holding it out if you'd like to place that in there. You can do a pledge card of any amount that you'd be willing to give between now and next February, uh, or cash or check, of course, push pay, uh, or any other means that is, is helpful to you. You know, I hope and pray that today our giving shows that not only do we choose to use what God has entrusted us to do, what He wants done with it, but I hope and pray that we're stewards of both money and the gospel, that we don't hold anything back, but are willing to give it to anyone who has a need of what we've been given, that we will run to where the Spirit sends to do whatever the Spirit prompts or calls us to do. If you're at home uh, and watching if by chance our technology ever worked at all, and I hope that it has, uh, you can give of course on Push Pay, it's on the Northwest uh, Church page in the bottom right section, or you can use uh, the form that's on Google to make a pledge on the Church Facebook page as well. Um, We're so blessed that in this unusual time, there are so many different means and methods of giving, means and methods of connecting, of serving, of loving, of seeing people, Of speaking the gospel Uh, there is no world no culture that cannot be touched with the message of Jesus Christ the story of a Savior who was born who lived who died and was raised again on the third day so that we might have eternal life if we believe in him and are baptized And if you're here today and you've never responded to that message, that gospel, that promise, so that you, like the Ethiopian and like Philip and Peter and many in this room today, can have the promise of eternal life, the promise of eternal life, come forward this morning as we stand and sing.
1: a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm, louder and louder. You're gonna hear my praises roar up from the ashes. Hope will arise, death is defeated, the King is alive. I raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me. I raise a hallelujah, I will watch the darkness flee. I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. I raise a hallelujah, fear you lost your hold on me, because I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm, louder and louder. You're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. Sing Sing a little louder. 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 of the storm louder and louder you're gonna hear my praises roar up from the ashes hope will arise death is defeated the king is alive i'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder you're gonna hear my praises roar Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the King is alive. I raise a hallelujah.
0: Thank you, Nathan. You made the auditorium sound like it was full. And thank you all for singing out a little louder. And thank you, Kent, for that message. You know, Bill Brown and Donna McNeely and Charles Key and.